Welcome to the Story Discovery Podcast. I'm your co-host, J.W. McAteer. Coming up, you'll hear a new work from our free online publication, Etched Onyx. Please join me and co-host Melissa Collings after the reading when we talk with the author about their work and all things writing and otherwise. The Story Discovery Podcast is sponsored by Scrivener. I've been using Scrivener since 2014, and I never looked back. It's an amazing tool for writers in that it lets you build research in the same document that you're doing your work. You can put in images and PDFs. You can organize your work using the corkboard view. You can set goals. You can export it to multiple formats, including ebook and manuscript. There's really nothing Scrivener can't do in the writing universe, and I highly recommend it, which is why I'm so pleased that they're a sponsor. If you'd like to check them out, you can follow the link from our website or just type Scrivener into your search engine. Our listeners get a 20% discount by using the coupon code STORYDISCOVERY at checkout. If you're a writer and you haven't tried Scrivener, I highly recommend it. Give Scrivener a try. You won't regret it. This podcast and all related materials are a production of Onyx Publications. All works, stories, and poems are copyright 2022. All rights reserved. Hey, listeners. We are so excited to let you know that the next several shows we'll be talking with the winners of our winter edition contest. Melissa and I would first like to thank our guest judges, Becky Hinshaw and Christopher Clancy, for their tireless work in the difficult task of selecting the top stories and poems. We would also like to thank each writer and poet who submitted their works for consideration in our first ever contest. We know writing and submitting can be a daunting experience, and we appreciate the opportunity to read your work. We wish all of you a prolific 2022. On today's show, we'll hear selected poems by Dana Yost, one of our honorable mention winners. These poems are narrated by Melissa Collings. Settle in and enjoy. A Collection of Poems by Dana Yost Escapes I listened to Mellencamp on a chilly evening, waiting for baseball to start. Two escapes, on a day when I am reminded of divisions. In our country, on a day when an in-law dies. Either of old age or COVID, maybe both. I need the escapes. I need walks in the woods looking through trees for a hint of a white tail, maybe the flash of a fox, always the squirrels, with their rustle in the forest bottom. Always think of sorrow when I listen to this melon camp. Album, from late in his career, it's aching, melancholy full of regrets and misjudgments. Whose life isn't, I suppose, But he writes, and sings it so well, it brings these matters to the surface for me. Before this, I listened to the sermon of a friend of mine in Iowa. Thanks to the internet, it was convicting. 
Who are we to be haughty, to discriminate, to leave the poor to fend for themselves? On this chilly evening, I think about this, too. As I listen to Mellon Camp, as I wait for baseball, I need to escape, but maybe I shouldn't. Maybe there is one more thing I can do. Today, to help another, maybe there is. One more thing we all can do before we snug up for the night. Animal Control I told my friend that animal control was going to spray to kill the nuisance small mammals, squirrels, rats, rabbits. He believed it and began to tell his neighbors. It was a gag. I had to put a stop to it before there was a panic, a fear that babies would drop over dead in strollers and that squirrels would fall from the sky. My superpower. You're looking for beauty to take the place of those who are not here. So someone tells me, and I believe her, because life goes forward even when those we want around us are elsewhere. Do you want a superpower, she asks. What would you do with your superpower? Beam my friends to my side just for an hour so we could talk, laugh, hug. That's a nice superpower, a strong superpower, she says. And I feel good that she thinks that way. Of course, it's hypothetical. Even more than that, it's dream-wishing, fool's game, no matter the warmth it gives me. For people's lives go on without me. They make their own homes, fall in love, raise children, spend too many hours at work. All the things I wish they'd give up to be close to me. So what do I do to replace them, those I've lost either to death or to the continuity of life, to moving away from those who matter? I must look for beauty, she says in new places, in new hearts. It's no search for the weak, I say, and this is so. The world is cold, is turned inward, and to crack it you need a will as strong as an ice pick, forever chipping. You join new committees, stand in line, for concerts, eat ice cream at the town fair, yet you don't? always get honest answers, or things are brought up around you, but not to you, those new ones you want. Close to you, only elide you, slide up, then around. And it's not the same. Not the same as before. Not the same as beauty. So you continue the search. Beauty exists in the world, you're sure of this the kind you're looking for, the kind you once had, 
the kind you felt in the longing hold of a friend, before you said goodbye for what may be the last time. Beauty exists in the world, if not where you've been looking, then someplace else. When you've fallen, your hands have not buckled, but grown stronger. Continue the search, she says. You won't find beauty by sitting still, but by climbing the rock, circling the tree, waiting in line for the art show to open. Photos on canvas, a wasteland turned into grace, by the way the lens settles on leaves in a pathway. Obsession I turn myself inside out, as if pulling my flesh outward, but really my mind, pulling it to the surface, to find out what's obstructing it, what it is I keep thinking, about to the near exclusion of all else. I examine my thoughts, my recesses. I share them with my therapist week after week, like a fog settled over me, or the return of low-grade depression, or some kind of actual thought, an obsession that's jammed in my mind like a stick between the spokes of a child's bike. After a time, I decide I may know, may have a clue, but I'm afraid to pursue it for what it might say about me, about my life and those in it. Too dangerous, too damaging, too damn tempting. A thing dangling before, my mind like juice dripping from a bottle, tempting with its tastes and touches. So I work on ways to turn myself back inside, bring the thing to a quieter, more remote place, where it won't steal at me so much, won't say, come to me, with all the implications those words hold. I work on burying them, busying myself with other thoughts, with life in the real world, tangible, like polishing the wood on the dining room table, like walking in the heat, breathing in the warm air and sifting my breath. For aromas from the houses I pass, lilacs or baking bread or the sweat of a dog just finished with a walk. I read about foreign people. I read about history. I twist at night in my bed, working, to think of tomorrow, not that thing that tempts. I sleep and dream of old work days and wake to new tasks, new words, Cicerone, for one, and drag my mind through the hard work of another day. Where reality, while duller than temptation, is better for me, safer, even cozier, You just heard four poems by Dana Yost, one of our three honorable mentions for the Winter Edition Contest, and we are so happy to have Dana on the show today to talk about his work and life in general. So Dana, thanks for being on the show. 
Well, thank you for having me. I'm really honored to be a, be a part of this. Great, great. And we also, of course, always have the wonderful Melissa Collings as a co-host and often narrator for many of these stories and poems. Hello, good morning. <laughs> or good great. afternoon. Yeah, depending on where you are. <laughs> exactly. It's morning for us now. That's right. Great. Well, Dana, why don't you just give us a little background about yourself before we begin? Okay. Um, I, I'm from a small town in southwest Minnesota, and I had the good fortune of growing up close to Marshall, Minnesota, where Southwest Minnesota State University is located. And I okay. went to uh, college there, and it has a, it still has uh, a really terrific creative writing and English uh, program, hmm. uh, home to many, uh, oh, I would call very talented authors and poets, Phil Dacey, Leo Dangle, Howard Moore, who wrote the book, How to Talk Minnesotan. <laughs> um, yeah, he was on the faculty. Bill Holm, um, another poet, essayist, uh, David Pekaski, Susan McLean. She, she's a much translated author, uh, a, a poet. And all of those guys had influence on me or were mentors to me. And mm-hmm. so I was very lucky to have gone there. It's a small college, but it had this immensely talented staff. And then while I was in college, I started working for the daily newspaper in Marshall, Minnesota, as a sports writer. And then by the time I was 23, I was a sports editor. Then I became the editor by the time I was 28. And then I went on to work at three other newspapers in the Midwest, um, in La Crosse, Wisconsin, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and Wilmer, Minnesota. Wow. Yeah, I worked for 29 years in newspapers, mostly in senior editing levels. Uh, nice. A couple times as the executive editor, but in 2003 I was diagnosed with clinical depression, and I started started taking you know, uh, therapy for that and some medications for that, and, and at the same time being an executive editor back in Marshall, in fact. Right. And uh, by 2008, the illnesses had gotten so so strong, so they, I don't know, you know, they were taking over. From, things within me, that Mm -hmm. I left the newspaper business to essentially focus on managing the illnesses. Wow. And I I got them mostly under control with good medications and with a couple good therapists, and then I see a psychiatrist once every uh, three months. And I also work out a lot of my uh, issues in my writing. I was going to ask. Yeah, yeah. And so my first book uh, was a poetry collection, Grace, which was published in late 2008. And that has experiences of uh, poems about my experiences in the hospital and with depression and dealing with grief as well. Um, So it really was the the illnesses were really a trigger for me to start writing books. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so kind of a varied background. It It all. led back to my days at Southwest State where all those um, great writers influenced me. And I, and I still look to some of them as influences now. Uh, right, great. You know, all, all these years later. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, that's terrific. It is. So, okay, I guess normally we do try to start off by digging into, these, into the material that we just heard or the listeners just heard a little bit. So you mentioned in the background materials that you sent us that these poems have special meaning to you. Would you like to tell us more about that on any poem in particular or all of them? Or Well, sure. You know, um, on the one my, called My Superpower, that is really a poem about about depression. Uh, we lived for seven years in Forest City, Iowa, 
and then we moved um, five years ago and I over this this past summer we went back and visited a bunch of friends there and it started hitting me about how much I missed those friends and it triggered a wave of depression mm. and, and I used that poem to write about missing people and the depression it causes and the sadness it causes uh, and it and I talked to my my uh, current therapist quite a bit about that. And, uh, the poem emerged out of the, those thoughts, and and I really like how my my therapist asked me if you had a superpower, what would you what would you uh, want it to be? And I and I wrote in the poem that I'd want to I would want to pull all these friends back together to me and have oh, them be by right, my, right. be by my side, you know, and, and even for a little while. And, and so it's about it's a poem about uh, people who you either move away from or who move away from you or or in some cases people who have, have uh, you know your friends who have died um and yeah. so it's a poem about dealing with depression on that specific issue um then the poem obsession is a poem about ocd or obsessive compulsive disorder and in my case, it isn't like I line up my shoes or my my silver, <laughs> silverware in a certain order. It's it's more that my brain gets into uh, loops, long looping thoughts about a, a specific issue that can override everything else that I'm doing, and hmm. kind of take me out of you know being in touch with real life. And so it's a poem about wrestling with obsessive thoughts and uh, trying to manage those thoughts so you know some people journal to deal with their mental illnesses yeah i, I write poetry i like that it, it helps it helps me a lot and and when i'm lucky and when things are going well then a good poem comes out of it yeah now when you say you use this as part of kind of a treatment do you leave it on the page are you able to if you're dealing with something and you write it down does that get out of you or does it remind you of everything you're dealing with and kind of perpetuate a lot of times it gets it out of me. It, it, it helps to put it on the page, you know. And, yeah. And, um, a release of sorts. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yep. And then, then it, it does leave my, especially with the OCD. Yeah. Part, where sometimes I have to like grab something tangible, like like a desk or yeah, up and walk around. But but writing it down it has the same effect. It, it takes me out of that loop. I think that's so great. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people have that problem. You know, when you're in this cycle of thought, I think it happens to a lot of people and on varying degrees, you know, and it keeps you from moving forward. So when you're able to put that down on paper, it's like magic. You know, I feel like that's so excellent. You know, you can put that down, you get out of your loop and you can move forward. It's it's powerful. Magic is a great word for it because all all of a sudden you find yourself concentrating so heavily on, on that issue, you know, and and then then here it comes and and it it appears on, on the page and it's like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. 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 Ah, I, I love that. And we were talking right before the show about how your poetry and how you're writing and how you've been raw on the page. You know, some people don't like to share what's inside, but you're sharing and that's impacting other people. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how other people have been impacted by seeing your writing? Sure. You know, once I made the decision to write about my mental illnesses, I decided I'm going to do it full bore. You know, I'm not going to hold yeah. anything back. Rather, mm-hmm. rather than just hinting at it or, or you know, little bits and pieces. Um, and actually, that, that started with a newspaper column I first wrote, writing about clinical depression. And I got 
this incredible amount of feedback from readers of our newspaper through emails and cards and and, and stuff like that. And then um, it's been the same with my book, Grace, and a couple of other books that I've written where I write about either having the mental illness or being an advocate for people with mental illnesses. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it just seems to touch people. People want to relate to that because you know because there's still so much stigma around about, oh, sure. about yeah. mental illness. so they're just they're either happy to have somebody saying what they might want to say or or it gives them something to say to family members or in some cases it, it has led people to seek help themselves you ah, know and so I that, love that that really uh, touches me you know and and so I'm, I'm just so grateful that people respond that way I I think that's so great to have somebody put your feelings when you can't express that is a gift, you know, so mm-hmm. I think that's great. And then another aspect of it is if you're experiencing those feelings and you think you feel alone a lot of the time, I think people oh. feel alone oh, yeah. in that headspace. But if you read it and you're oh, somebody else is going through this, it's it makes it gives you that comfort. Exactly. And that's what I've had a lot of people say. You know, they say, I, I understand now that I am not alone. I, I don't yeah. have to fight this myself, you know, and then I love that. Uh, um, that that somebody else understands what I'm going through. And then also that there are resources out there for me. If yes. I, you know, yeah. Like I sometimes at readings I've get either left at like a, like at the entryway a handout with different resources that people can, you know, online resources that people can yeah. click, click and stuff like that. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, and that's then terrific. It, and it helps, and I'm harping on this a little bit because I love this idea of the writing as medicine. You know, I, I've been in this this whole kick of food as medicine and all these alternative things that we can do to help in addition to the modern medicine. And this is this is that in action, you know, <laughs> oh, medicine yeah. on the page. Yeah. And I and I think that's just lovely. And it helps your loved ones who maybe aren't experiencing something like this to understand a little bit better, you know, to get inside your head and say, oh, I didn't know you were feeling that way or and have it touch somebody who isn't going through that to be a little more sensitive. Absolutely. You know, I've had a couple of my siblings with depression, especially they wonder why I just couldn't shake it off, you know, and, mm-hmm. and yeah. read, read the poems and they say, oh, now I get it more, you know, I understand more. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I really enjoyed about your poetry is it's super relatable yeah. Um, often I'll read a poem and I, I get a sense or a flavor or a color out of it or emotion, but with yours, I could just, it was, I could relate in almost every single one. You know, I think even if you aren't someone struggling, you still can connect with the, the struggles that this person's going through and, um, like yeah. escapes and the whole situation with our society as it is today. Um, the superpower one, you can relate to that even if you just miss friends because you move away or yeah, things yeah. happen in life, you know? So, um, Strong work with all of these poems. Great job. Oh, thank you. And, <laughs> and that's one of the things that, um, oh, I, I don't know, I guess I believe in it. And, and some of the influences that uh, have uh, affected me. I think poetry, might, at least I try to make my poems accessible. You know, the language mm-hmm. accessible, the, yeah. the form accessible. You know, guy, a guy like Leo Dangle, uh, one of the professors at Southwest State, uh, who's highly regarded, he wrote very straightforwardly, plain spokenly almost, but he had uh, great wisdom within his poems mm-hmm. and, and often subtle, uh, sly humor. He would write a narrative poem and the incident would be really 
just sly and subtle and he had great characters in there and, and so I, he taught me to be really accessible especially that you can still say things of importance and with emotion but readers don't have to guess at what you're trying to say yeah yeah that's complete using a fancy word doesn't necessarily mean depth you know no, you can no. i was talking to somebody the other night about a sentence length oh. and how you know you can have a two or three word sentence in the right place at the right time and it'd be so powerful it's short words it's something simple but it's so powerful in the right place and i think you can use language just like clay you know is to to really <laughs> create anything out of um, something small oh yeah my 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 favorite author of all time is Hemingway, you know, not, not oh, a poet, yeah. but he certainly believed in short sentences, <laughs> but, but he would vary the length. You know, he'd, he'd go two or three words, two or three words, and then run in a longer sentence. Yeah. He's playing with the rhythm of things. And, uh, but he got so much impact out of short sentences, the precise exact words at the right, right spot yeah. to, to, right. to, to make a, a big difference. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Cool. Well, you have an extensive background in the newspaper, obviously almost 30 years as an editor. Would you say that shapes the way or how has that affected the way that you write both poetry and some of the novels that you've done? Um, the first word that, that comes to mind with that is discipline. You know, in, in newspapers, uh, you have deadlines. You have to get a story done. It isn't like you can sit on the shelf for... Uh, two, three months or a year, if you mm. don't like how it's ended up, it's got to print. And, right? <laughs> yeah. and, so, and so discipline is the, the, the first thing that being in uh, journalism taught me and has given me. I, I tend to finish what I start, um, whether, yeah. whether it's a poem or like a chapter in a novel. Um, I will write it from beginning to end, usually in one sitting or, or during the course of a day, and then at least I've got a draft done. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, then mm -hmm. I'll go back and, and do some revising and stuff, but I don't, I don't write like one sentence at a time really saying, okay, now maybe I've got this line down. Now yeah. I can wait for a while and do the next line. I, I, I go through it all the way. And so newspapers taught me that more than anything. And also then to set aside within that discipline to set aside time each day to write. So I, mm -hmm. I, write, I write in the mornings uh, for a few hours every morning. Um, and, and a lot of what I write is garbage, you know. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but at least I've written something. And, and uh, then, it, and, you know, but then, then there are other things that turn out really well and that I like and I keep. Um, yeah. But it, it gives, I guess, inside of me an internal deadline. Like, okay, so I'll, I'll write until 11 o'clock. And so I've, I've got to get something written by 11 o'clock. Um, uh, it's also newspapers have also taught me to be concise, which helps nice. with poetry. You know, I mean, yeah. you, you, know, you might have a 600 word story in newspapers, but you know, so you can translate the that to a three or four stanza poem or a one mm -hmm. stanza free verse poem. You know, th mm -hmm. that's maybe 20 lines long, and, and also precise. You want to pick the best words you can pick. Uh, to, yeah. to, to say the story. And then the other thing in newspapers, and this goes back to accessibility. I used to call it the grandmother rule. If my grandmother couldn't understand what we were writing about, I would tell my staff, write it again. You know, because yeah. I want, you know, I'd want 
the, the, the biggest audience possible in newspapers to be able to understand. So, yeah. I, um, so it affects the clarity with which I write, I think, that accessibility. I try not to use oversized words. I try to keep the concepts sort of simple, too. I mean, there, there are times when you're working on the rhythm of a poem where you might use a longer word or a longer line to affect mm-hmm. the rhythm of the poem. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I try to... So newspapers gave me all that, I think, you know. And, yeah. Fascinating, Excellent. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that is fascinating, too. I, I've heard recently... Uh, that being concise as a writer is so important because is your ability to have your idea. Well, I guess it has come up recently in writing like your query letters for a novel, if you're submitting to an agent, you know, or a synopsis and you have to take your long 90,000 word work and you have to summarize it into a paragraph. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's a talent to that. So I think what I'm hearing from you too, is that, your, your background and having those deadlines and having to really think about who's reading this, when you're that concise, you're forced to think about what's in your manuscript. And if there's a whole lot of fluff in your manuscript or your poetry or whatever you're writing, it is exposed when you have to write in a paragraph. Oh, yeah. Everything yeah. there. It's yeah. exposed of what you need and what mm-hmm. you don't need. And sometimes you find out, I don't even have a plot. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> because you're like, I don't even know what my novel's about. <laughs> So, or, or your whatever. So, I think I think that's fascinating that that background is, has created the person that you are in your writing, which is so important. I hear about it all the time. Well, my, my latest novel is only fifty four thousand words. I, oh, wow! I, I try very to, concise. Yes, I try to keep it really <laughs> lean, you know, and I deliberately wrote it uh, with. Like, like I mean, cutting out adjectives, cutting out adverbs. Yes. You know, just mm. letting letting the nouns and verbs speak for themselves. You know. Yes. And uh, yeah, I have, I have a friend who writes um, long. If I, to be polite, yeah, yeah. he writes pretty long, <laughs> yeah. and, and his query letters are sometimes twenty pages long. I just no, I, I can't oh believe it. I, I, and I so when I write one, it's maybe a couple pages, and I go, "What am I doing wrong?" You know, yeah, right, right. to his because he, he'll write long, page long. Another and, novel. Yeah, summaries, <laughs> of, summaries of his chapters are extremely long. And I go, God, you know, I I just I, I can't understand that, you know, and right. because how does it get past? an editor you know an acquisitions editor you know often it doesn't yeah and in today's fast-paced world if you can't deliver that you know that elevator pitch if you can't deliver the idea of your novel or your or your whatever you're writing in the span that you would take to ride in an elevator with that person you're done you're toast like they're walking away they've got other people to see you know oh absolutely yeah yeah oh yeah. yeah so i think that's a great great point that's funny (laughs) <laughs> well, is your mental approach different um, for poetry than for novels, or is it kind of all the same for you? It's it's both the same and different. Um, it's the same in terms of being disciplined and, and, and having a set amount of time to write each day. But with a novel, you know, I'm working on character development and and, yeah. and narrative development. I, I do want to have a plot. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, so, recommended. So, right? <laughs> although in this last novel, I had to change the plot because I had in the middle of the book, I had a murder. And then I decided not to have the murder. So I had to go back and rewrite. Right. Oh, no, you should always have murder. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Dead bodies, right? Yes. <laughs> so so I... I um, I do focus a lot on character development, both in uh, showing how the character 
relates to others and relates to situations and then getting and this is maybe where poetry helps i, I get, try to get inside their head and i have interior monologues you know yeah. but I, it is definitely different than writing poetry where i'm either making a point or uh, expressing an emotion or trying to show a single image you know versus yeah. trying to draw everything out longer very interesting, interesting. I, I am not a poet although i've done some poetry and for me i feel completely different when i'm trying to push the poetry out than when i am writing a novel and i think it's like i, I feel more emotion when I'm, I'm working on the poetry than when i'm writing a story oh, yeah. writing a story i do get emotional but it's just a different experience it's more of um images in my head than feelings translated to words i guess that's yeah yes that's why i asked that question so. I, I would agree with that. yeah poetry is emotion is one of the big the big things for me in poetry so i'm always trying to capture that that mood yeah yeah and it's a lot of times your emotion oh, you know yeah. right yeah mm -hmm. when when you're writing characters or you're writing fiction you're writing somebody else's emotion Absolutely. and you're hmm. writing your character so it's it's a little bit Maybe that's the reason why. Yeah, I've never written whether in a short story or a novel, uh, first person. Uh, they're always third person. Uh, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Works so yeah, so it's definitely different. I'm trying to translate my emotions into that third person when I'm doing yeah. fiction. Yeah. That's great. So, uh, wh who do you share your writing with? Do you write solo or do you share with a writing group? Um, you know, f when we lived in Iowa, I was part of a writing group. Um, okay. that had maybe about nine nine members a and we shared we were very it was a very open uh, safe space mm -hmm. the critiques were positive and we would write either sometimes we'd write on a prompt and, and mm -hmm. then come back to the group the next week um, or we would share something new and I got a, a tremendous uh, amount of really good feedback on that and it led to poems being published um, it led to one short story that I was was working on. Um, That's great. But yeah. since we since we have moved uh, five years ago, I am not part of a writing group at all, and I, and I miss that. But I do share my writing with a couple of other authors. One's a retired history professor, and he's he's usually my first reader, and he's he's tough. <laughs> he he writes <laughs> mainly writes history, but he also writes poetry. In his retirement, he's written. One, two, three and a half volumes of poetry. Uh, wow. Uh, three books and then another book that's a hybrid of essays and poetry. And, and he is a more of an old-fashioned reader, so he can be really tough. If he doesn't get something of mine, then he'll say that. And so then I go back mm -hmm. and try to work on it some more. And then the other is um, Susan McLean, uh, who is a formalist. She writes an exceptionally well you know, formal verse. And, and I I can't write formal verse where the who not at all I mean I, I just can't. but but I you know so I write free verse but she gives me good feedback on word choices on the rhythm of a poem um, yeah yeah and, and so between those two but otherwise I am by myself uh, and okay. I and I, I just you know I write on my own and then I'll yeah. and I share with them cl close to final draft. You know, I don't share with them early drafts because I don't, I don't want to waste their time on a, yeah. right, something early. Right. Yeah. I like that. So you do have some people that, are, that yes. are kind of supporting you a bit. Yeah. That's great. Now, will you explain for the audience the difference between free verse and formal verse? Oh, I'm not sure I'm the, the right guy, but, uh, <laughs> um, you know, free verse is, is, is um, poetry that's written without, necessarily without 
and rhyme and without meter. Um, It it should still have a a rhythm to it, and it should still have good sound and and poetics to it, like alliteration. It can have end rhyme or uh, slant rhyme or internal rhyme. Um, Formal verse is verse that has a rhyme scheme, has meter to it. You know, there can be villanelles, there can be, uh, you know, sonnets, but, but things that end with, that, that do have... More like, rule following. Yes, more rule following, definitely. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's probably what more, when people think of traditional poetry, you know, formal verse okay. would be that. Okay, that makes sense. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, well, so what, um, you know, we're kind of come up, up on time already, but we may have time for one or two more questions um, before our fast. last one. I know. Yeah. I always say that because it's always fast. I get wrapped <laughs> up in thinking about it. Just, I'm fascinated. So, time I'm sure our readers are like, we know it's almost over already. Move on. <laughs> <laughs> and listeners, I should say. Um, but okay, well, for you, what makes a good poem? And I know this is kind of a hard question probably, but just, you know, personally, like, what is a good poem to you? Well, I, I think we've, we've covered one of the things. It's got to be accessible. I have to be able to get it on the first or second read. I'll go back and read a, a poem I like. I'll read maybe a half a dozen times. But so accessibility, uh, then the sound of the poem. How how does it sound? And So that, that includes like the rhythm, the alliteration, mm-hmm. the way it might end. Does it end with a, a punch or a twist? You know, mm-hmm. to, I don't know, like, like, like a punch type sound at the end. So sound mm-hmm. is another big thing. Um, then the emotion. I think a, a good poem to me has to leave me thinking about the poem or feeling about the poem. Um, mm-hmm. So it's got to have some emotion in it, and it's got to make a point. And that emotion can be, you know, sorrow or, or humor or, like, the my poem, Animal Control, is kind of a humorous poem, you know, right. about <laughs> pranking his friend, you know. So, I mean, um, so I, I think it, it can have humor, but it's got to have some sort of emotion to it, uh, um, so those, those four qualities, I, I, I guess, would make a good poem to me. And, and I, I think the maybe a fifth is you want to feel that the author, the poet, is in control of, of his words, knows or her words. Mm. Ha, is, has to have a, a certain authenticity to it or yeah. a voice of authority to it. I like that, yeah. So it, it isn't somebody just stumbling around. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. So you know that, which I guess can mean precision, concision, all all of that. Yeah. You feel the purpose. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I like that. I, for some, as you were talking, I just got this picture of you know something kind of latching onto you through the day, something that you mull over it oh, through yeah. the day if you read it early, or something that you just have to share. I, I like that. Something that sticks with you, latches on. <laughs> Great. All right. Well, Melissa, you want to throw out our last question? for? Yeah. So we love to ask at the end, and you've given us so many per- pearls, so many <laughs> uh, pieces of wisdom to, to go off of. But we, do you have a piece of writing advice that for aspiring author, authors or curious listeners, something that really has helped you along the way that you'd like to pass along? Um, it's something that I learned, I guess, from the novelist Faith Sullivan. Um, who, who taught some classes at Southwest State and whose writing I continue to read. But it, it is believe in what you're writing. Have, have a, mm. you know, don't, oh, I like that. don't just write for the, the, the heck of it. Believe in it. So invest yourself in your writing. Um, oh, I like that. That would be my piece of advice. Make it, make it be part of you. 
That's terrific. We haven't wow. we haven't had that one before, and I think that's a really important. Oh. And it fits. It fits with you know your your whole poetry. You know, living inside of you and yeah. coming out on yeah, the page. I like that. You're fabulous, Dave. <laughs> 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 Thank you. Well, it is actually funny because I'm. We ask this question to just about everybody at the end of the shows, and I keep waiting for something to be recycled, and I don't right. know that we really have yet. I and, know. You know, it's fascinating that everyone has so far has had something a little bit different. So, um, uh, thank you for that. I like that question because <laughs> yeah. it does. Everybody's interpretation is different, and what helps somebody is not the same as what helps somebody else. And yeah, so, yeah. you never know what's going to speak to you, and actually today somebody just listen to you and they're going to say i'm pulling out my pen today or i'm putting my fingers on those key keyboard the keyboard so yeah that's, that's exciting great. great well dana thanks so much for submitting your work to our winter edition contest and congratulations again on yes. getting one of our honorable mentions so it's been a pleasure having you on the show and, and getting your poetry out to a broader community so thank you well thank you very much i've enjoyed being on the show thank you thank great. you Thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. If so, please help us spread the word by telling your friends or giving us a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Those reviews really make a difference. We'd like to thank the folks at Literature and Latte, the makers of Scrivener, for sponsoring the podcast and providing an amazing tool for writers. If you'd like to take your writing to the next level and use a tool designed for writers by writers, then give Scrivener a try. What have you got to lose? The Story Discovery Podcast is a free, narrated podcast of the works that appear in Etched Onyx magazine. Edited by J.W. McAteer, all stories and poems are available for free at onyxpublications.com. That's O-N-Y-X publications.com. If you'd like to support the continuation of this podcast and or the magazine, please consider a small donation through Patreon at patreon.com slash onyxpublications. As a nano publishing house, we are always looking for new works to showcase. If you'd like to submit a story or poem for consideration, please visit the submissions page on our website. In the meantime, keep reading and writing.